Hello, I'm Howard Louthen, Professor of History and Director of the Center for Austrian Studies at the University of Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast interview with Barbara Stolberg-Rillinger. Professor Stolberg-Rillinger was our 2019 Khan Lecture at the Center for Austrian Studies. This interview took place on November 5th, 2019, immediately before her public lecture. Dr. Stolberg-Rillinger was professor of early modern history at the University of Münster before in 2018, accepting the position of rector at the Wissenschaftskolleg in Berlin. She is the author of the 2018 biography of Maria Theresa, and it was on this topic that she delivered her Khan lecture. We are happy to feature a review of the book in the second edition of our online journal, Central Europe, by Fabia Weisse, an undergraduate at the Technical University in Dresden. Interviewing Professor Stolberg-Rillinger are Dr. Igor Chukarin, Assistant Professor of History at the University of Minnesota. At the time of the interview, he was editor at the Center for Austrian Studies, and Dr. Ambika Natarajan, who earned her PhD in the history of science in 2019 at Oregon State University. Thank you for listening. I would like to ask you very a general question about your education background and mm -hmm. what brought you to become a scholar of early mm -hmm. modern Europe? Oh, that was mostly by chance, <laughs> I would say. I, I uh, studied history. First of all, I studied history of art and German literature. And uh, by chance, I, uh, a friend of mine told me, uh, why don't you come with me to, to the seminar on history? It's because I didn't like history at school at all. I found it boring. So it was by chance that I ended up uh, as a, a historian of early modern Europe. Because I was, uh, I was enthusiastic about this seminar I visited uh, by chance. And so, um, yeah, that was it. I, I had never planned that. <laughs> And yet you, you, you became a very uh, prominent professor of mm -hmm. early modern Europe mm -hmm. during this story. And I, I, this is, a, as a segue, I'd like to talk about your biography of Maria mm -hmm. Teresa. Mm -hmm. And in this award-winning biography, uh, you call into question a series of enduring myths, mm -hmm. um, which alternately portray her as progressive or as the mother of the nation. Mm. And how were these myths constructed and how can we explain their resilience mm. among the general public and scholars? I would say the myth uh, came up in the middle of the 19th century because the Habsburg Empire was losing its former greatness. And to, to think of this former greatness of Maria Theresia's time was a kind of consolation for the, for the present. And so they depicted historians in the 19th century, especially Alfred von Arnett, who was the biographer of Maria Theresia, and, and uh, many other historians of the 19th and 20th century depicted her as a kind of bourgeois mother and woman, uh, a wife, uh, as, it, as they would have it in the 19th century. So, for example, a loving mother who cared took care of her children and mm -hmm. herself and so on, which was, of course, uh, an anachronism because, I mean, the court life of the 18th century was completely different from uh, uh, bourgeois family life in the 19th. So this is only one of the, the um, 
features of her myth. Another one would be that she was depicted as the creator of modern, the modern Austrian state, which is only partly true. I mean, it is not, not completely untrue, but it is a very, I would say, a very selective way to put it. And the, uh, the, the, the success of her reforms was uh, depicted much more successful than it really was. So these are just two, two, two features of the myth, and you could uh, add many other, uh, many other features. For example, that she was anti-ceremonial, that she was anti-courtly, anti-court, anti-aristocratic, and so on, which she wasn't. I mean, that was the bourgeois, the, the civil way to put it in the 19th century. Interesting. Mm. Um, and now there is a growing interest in looking at the Habsburg monarchy from the perspective of the common people. Mm -hmm. uh, and your work humanized Mary Theresa and reveals also her complex character. Mm. Um, and in your work, there are certainly elements of this so-called mm. bottom-up approach, uh, for instance, uh, her interaction with her personal mm -hmm. physician, uh, her use of mm -hmm. rhetoric that mm. familiarized herself to the people. Mm -hmm. So was this, was this something you had in mind um, while writing this book? Um, was mm. this like, in, and also in terms of um, current historiographical trends, mm -hmm. like what, how do you situate your work mm. within this mm. broader mm. Uh, historiography? Mm. I mean, I owe a lot to the so-called micro-history of uh, the, let's say, 1980s onward, uh, and, and 1990s and so on, and also to the history of symbolic communication. We, we had, I'm coming from the University of Münster originally, and we had a huge collaborative research group on symbolic communication in the pre-modern uh, periods, Middle Ages and also early modern. Uh, period and uh, I was in the first place I was most interested in all these rituals of sovereignty uh, around Maria Theresia for example her being crowned as king of Hungary not queen but king mm -hmm. and this is very significant very significant element of the whole thing and so all these kinds of symbolic communication but also the the various forms of communication of rhetoric she um, used uh, in, in uh, her contact with various groups of subjects, various groups of court, uh, uh, of, of court uh, society and so on. So my approach was, and this is very common today of course, it's not very original but it's different from the 19th century, the approach was to, um, to take all the different perspectives, as, as many different perspectives as possible and arrange them to get a more multifaceted picture of mm -hmm. her. And I mean, I'm not, um, I mean, popular biographies suggest that they can look into the head of, or the heart of the yeah. heroine or hero and of the, the central figures. And I would never claim that. I would say you can never, you should not, you should not take a psychological introspection, introspective approach, we but you, yeah, we, can't, we can't, of course, <laughs> we can't, um, and we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't suggest uh, uh, as if we could. And so um, it is much more interesting to me to, to 
compose a picture of many, many different facets. And to, um, I would say this is the richness of uh, a biography uh, like that. And uh, this is just the contrary of the, the, I would say, traditional way to put it, to put it in a very linear, very coherent way. And I would say, no, it, reality is never coherent. It is always, um, it always consists of many different uh, traits and, and perspectives. So I think this is how you would today write a biography. You can't do it uh, as if you were the omniscient author of the 19th century. I think this yeah. is what I, I owe to the the, uh, the deep changes of historiography since the I would say 1980s the, the so-called cultural turn, the performative turn, all these mm -hmm. turns, you know, micro microhistorical turn, and all this has changed. I would say historiography completely, and so biography today is a different one than it was mm -hmm. in, in Alfred von Arnett's time. Uh, <laughs> of <yes>. course, <laughs> yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about the influence of that ritual aspect mm -hmm. in your biography mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. this time? Like how, mm -hmm. how it pro the, your mm -hmm. first work was about yeah. rituals. Not uh, my first one, but so uh, a later like one. Like the yeah. previous yeah. one, uh -huh. sorry. So could you talk a little bit more about that influence? In, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the biography. I mean, um, it is, I mean, the, the Habsburg Empire or the Empire of the Holy, uh, the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation, which is of course something completely different than the Habsburg Empire, they just, just overlap a little bit. But the, both of them, or especially the Holy Roman Empire, is, I mean, is a century-old mm -hmm. political entity. So it is deeply uh, shaped by age-old rituals. And you cannot, and in the same, the same is the case with the Roman Church, the Catholic Church, of course. Mm -hmm. And these two deeply traditional, very ancient entities mm -hmm. uh, cannot be understood without describing these rituals who uh, are responsible for this age-old uh, stability mm -hmm. in a way. So, I mean, they're not completely um, uh, unchangeable, of course. They, they change over time, but they um, produce the impression as if these entities were unchangeable over time and would last forever in a way. And with the Catholic Church, this is yeah. still the case, yeah. as you know. So I mean, they are changing, but they would they yeah. would uh, deny that. So um, it, it was for me to understand the figure of Maria Theresia and her uh, her confidence, her incredible self confidence by describing these age-old rituals in which she was, which, which located her in the middle of the world. I mean, she was uh, the, the heiress of a, an age-old empire. She was the, uh, the um, wife of the emperor of the, this age-old empire. She was, uh, she was, um, she had a, a godly mandate for her reign and all that. And this is what is expressed by these rituals I would say and you you don't understand her without taking these rituals very seriously I'm curious to know about the challenges behind this project in terms mm -hmm. maybe of maybe of writing it or maybe um, um, gathering um, mm -hmm. sources yes. materials yes. yes. uh, where you went and yes. Um, yes. can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about it 
I mean, of course, many of the sources are uh, published, have, have been published in, in already in the 19th century by Alfred von Arnett, by the way. I mean, all the letters and correspondences are published. This is, uh, I mean, you can cope with this material. And also, my, my favorite source was the uh, diary of the uh, Lord Chancellor, uh, Lord Chamberlain uh, Kevenhüller, which is an eight volume huge uh, diary, but perfect, I mean, for all aspects of court society. So these um, sources were edited in the, or published in the, in the 19th century already. And of course, there are, there is a, an abundance of uh, material in the archives, especially in the uh, Haushof und Staatsarchiv in Vienna, which of course I visited. And I tried to, I mean, you, you cannot overlook all this material, it's absolutely impossible. You could write libraries of books about, about only about her. So I had to choose certain, certain points where I tried to get a little bit deeper into the material. And of course there is a lot of research about, um, for example, the peasants in uh, Austria, the Protestants, the, the, the uh, um, uh, the the, the um, prosecution of the Jews of the Protestants in uh, in Austria, the Austrian lands. New research, I mean recent research, which I could use, of course. I mean I couldn't do my own research in all on all these all the elements of, of the book, and in many cases I'm relying on uh, and dependent on. Uh, is your legacy to in Austria today? Is it mm -hmm. something different from uh, the rest of Europe? Is there something specific? That's a different, a difficult it's question. A, it's, because, it's, a, yeah. it's not about you know your work is not based on on the yeah. you know contemporary perceptions of uh. of amateurs, but I will be curious to uh. uh, because you have been talking um, with so many mm. different people about mm. Teresa. I would say that uh, the Austrian colleagues, the historians, uh, yeah, my colleagues are uh, very much in. I'm, I'm, I mean, um, very much in line with me. I, I wouldn't say that there is a um, that there is no consensus about her old myth and this uh, this myth uh, need, needed to be disenchanted and so on. So my colleagues uh, are completely. I would say. Um, not completely, but almost um, uh, agreeing with me. But um, I would say there is a different relationship between the, the Austrian public and Maria mm -hmm. Theresia. Um, because if you look at the, for example, popular TV uh, film that was made, there were several, several films about her, uh, which were um, shown and produced in uh, the year of the anniversary, the 300th anniversary of her birthday, and uh, in, in 2017, and um, by public broadcasting uh, companies and so on. And this is still the old myth. And you can see that in, in many respects where she is still, um, I mean, uh, several, several mistakes and anachronisms uh, are still present in these uh, popular series. So I would say that the difference is not, or the divide is not between Austria and the rest of Europe, but between the Austrian pub or the public picture of her and, and the historian's picture. Mm -hmm. I would say there is, this is the, the gap or the divide. 
which makes sense and yeah. also the case yeah. for other uh, other uh, uh, world leaders yes 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes of course yes <coughs> yes yes, yes. Um, and you I wonder what can the study of Marcheros I can what can it teach us today mm. um, there is, there is, of course, the past is always very relevant in the way we yeah. we approach today's problems or today's historiography. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But what can we learn? Yeah. From it. I mean, in general, I would say we can never learn directly from history in the sense that uh, you get prescriptions how to behave. But I would say uh, it is. It might be relevant in different ways. For example, I mean, just to give you two examples, the one is um, that it is interesting if you look at how she really treated her subject. It inter it's interesting, and that's my topic this afternoon, how the subjects, her subjects, wanted to love her. I mean, how they were, they were desperate um, to 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 admire her, and uh, I mean, this is something we see today that mm -hmm. that a readiness, readiness new to. authoritarian leaders. I mean, I would never <laughs> compare them to Maria Theresia, of course, in a direct way. But um, it, this is interesting to me: the, the psychological aspect that uh, even if the subjects or the citizens today yes. are treated so <laughs> in such an evil way, and, and the, 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 these very same subjects want to admire these these figures, and this is something I mean that was revealing for me, and which is I mean maybe very common. Um, and another another point is, which is also I think um, of general relevance, is that you can see I mean if you if you look at her reforms, her very famous series of reforms, um, which started after the War of Succession. And it's interesting to see that, contrary to what the 19th century historians uh, said about her, that these reforms made things all made, um, made things always more complicated and produced more. I mean, made it made things more more expensive, produced much more. Um, I mean, much more personnel in the administration and so on made made things com more complicated, but did not um, produce a an efficient uh, administration of of the central government. It was I mean that is a that is a myth and still is a myth. And I think this is the myth of state building in general that we imagine uh, is maybe more in Europe than in the U.S. The state as um, a well-composed machine, mm -hmm, piece of mm -hmm. machinery that is running uh, uh, in a perfect way, and yeah. uh, so uh, and this was also the the, the uh, crucial metaphor of the time, of the 18th century, where uh, this this metaphor came up that the state has to be like a piece of machinery, as a as a clockwork kind of clockwork, so mm -hmm. that every every um, everything. Um, fits perfectly together and so on and will run without uh, anyone uh, um, any grain no, any, with no grain of sand in that yes, mechanism yes yes yeah. yes and and this this ideal of the state as a piece of machinery is, of course was wrong in the, the 18th century which was very uh, was very 
influential and very uh, efficient and efficient metaphor. I mean, it, mm-hmm. people orientated their action uh, 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 according to this metaphor, this this imagination. But it is still wrong today, and it is still, I mean, this this ideal uh, uh, of of mechanical functioning of the state is still wrong today. And so, uh, with this, um, this 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 in in this this in this this historical distance, um, things may be more clear, maybe clearer than if you look at them without any uh, historical uh, distance. Yeah.